right. Hey, uh, if you got your Bibles, open to Matthew chapter 10 and then Acts chapter 3. Matthew chapter 10 and Acts chapter 3. Uh, just I uh, want to give you a disclaimer as we jump in this morning, okay? The disclaimer is sometimes you show up on Sunday morning and it's the pep rally, it's exciting, it's motivational, and then sometimes the passage of Scripture you study is a little bit more of a slow burn, all right? And it's a, it's a teaching passage. I want you to know up front today, uh, I hope that you, I, pray, I hope and pray that you leave motivated, uh, but this may be a teaching message for some of you that you need to file away because you're going to need it later. We're going to talk about fame and triumph today, how somebody who's godly uh, navigates a situation uh, where there is uh, where you are on top of the world and experiencing uh, notoriety uh, because of something that God has done for you, a blessing that you've received, or triumph uh, in a situation where you have won something. Uh, now, just for the record, in this city, you will experience both triumph and destruction, all right, at different points. And some of you, uh, maybe on different ends of the spectrum, file this away and just, uh, again, this is something that either maybe you need for today or something maybe you need for later. We start at the top of our passages and we work our way down, uh, so I truly believe this is the word that the Lord has for you today, all right? Matthew chapter 10 and then Acts chapter 3. As you're flipping that direction, our study today starts with this question. Have you ever been put on the spot before? You ever been put on the spot before? Uh, the first example I could think of that has to do with like a teacher in a classroom. You ever had that experience before where they ask the room a question and then all of a sudden they come back and they're like, uh, yes, Josiah, what do you think about this? And you're frozen and you don't know what to do. You were half listening or maybe you think you know the answer, but you're a little bit nervous sharing it with the group. Being put on the spot uh, can be a situation where you want to respond well, uh, but sometimes the wrong thing can happen. My coaches used to do this as well. Some of you athletes in this room, former athletes, um, you remember the experience of the coach teaching a technique and then all of a sudden looking down and going, all right, John, get down there and show them what it's supposed to look like. And you just go, oh no, right? Put on the spot. All of a sudden, the spotlight's on you. Everybody's watching. Sometimes it succeeds. Sometimes it doesn't. It's one thing when it's a teacher and a coach. It's another thing when it's your boss or a situation you're navigating uh, here in the culture, or the gotcha media, all right? I'm using the word gotcha media to give you an example. Um, I, uh, I was once gotten by the gotcha media back when I was 17 years old. It's a great story, and there is video evidence somewhere out there uh, of this event that took place uh, where a microphone was shoved in my face, and uh, I gave testimony on something that I wish I could have back because of the circumstances. So I'm 17 years old, put on the spot by the media, and here was why. Lubbock, Texas, where I'm from, is flat and treeless and usually gets somewhere between 10 and 12 inches of rain a year, all right? It's a true desert out there, uh, the plains, and uh, just it's a nice spot, but very, very dry, no trees, and uh, uh, it's super flat. So because of that, if we got more than two inches of rain, it flooded the town. That's for real. Some of you have been to Lubbock, and you know, about two inches of rain. I mean, am I right, Jake? Two inches of rain, it floods the town. And so back in the day, before they they had worked up these uh, uh, these different systems to kind of work the water in different areas. Um, my parents lived right next to a park, and um, the driveway was on this side, front doors right here, but we got six inches of rain in one night. And so because of that, the water level had uh, had drifted to where it was right up at the edge of our house. And uh, I'll never forget just getting up going, oh my goodness, there's water everywhere. So I'm going out to get something from my car, and I walk outside, remember this is my house, all right, in Texas.
Texas, okay? Um, so I walk outside. I have no shirt on, all right, and a gold chain cross necklace, all right? And so, plus, I'm a very hairy individual, okay? Uh, my chest, my back, I mean, I even have to shave down my nose. I mean, honestly, if I let myself go, I'd be a raccoon. I really do think it. I got, I got hair everywhere. So all that to say, I'm hairy. I come outside with a gold chain cross necklace. I'm 17 years old, got a cool little goatee. And uh, I'll never forget, I step outside the door, see my car, and then all of a sudden there's a woman with a microphone and a dude with a camera, and I hear her go, get him! And they run over to me through the water, and I'm standing right there, and they go, how do you feel about what you're experiencing here with the flood? And she sticks the microphone right there in my face, and it happens just that quickly. And what comes out of my mouth, I'm still kind of ashamed of. Even when I'm 17 years old, and I go, I don't know, but I am not going to work today. I mean, what, why would you say something like that to the American public? You know what I mean? Why would you do it? And again, the microphone was in my, in my face, and all I could think of as a 17-year-old was, cool, I got out of work today because of this flood. That was really, honestly, all I could think of. Put on the spot, we say the wrong things sometimes, we do the right things sometimes. I can tell you as a believer in Jesus Christ, one of the things that we carry heavily with us is this. If it has to do with the flood in front of your house, Again, people will be forgiving about that. When it has to do with your faith, when it has to do with something that truly matters to you, and for us as believers in Jesus Christ, what matters to us for eternity, we don't want to mess it up, right? We don't want to mess it up. And it's not just when a microphone's in your face or when a coach or a teacher asks you a question. For us, it's when somebody comes up to you and genuinely wants to know how can I navigate this issue that I'm going through? Someone comes up to you broken, looking for hope, looking for peace, and you want to say the right thing. You want to point them to Jesus, the reason that we have hope, and you don't want to mess it up. Jesus addresses that in Matthew chapter 10, verses 18 through 20. And by the way, these are fantastic verses to memorize. If you are the type of person today that really frets and fears, and, and I mean, you truly are, are traumatically stressed over saying or doing the wrong thing when it comes to your faith, this is a great set of verses to memorize. It comes from the mouth of Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 10, verses 18 through 20. It says, on my account, this is Jesus talking, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them, look at this, and to the Gentiles. Circle, highlight, and underline, as to the Gentiles. Jesus starts off the passage talking to the disciples who are scared to death that Jesus is awesome, Jesus is amazing, he's changed their lives, the message of salvation is perfection to them, and all of a sudden they're like, but what if we screw it up, Jesus? What if we don't say the right thing or do the right thing, or what if we don't give the same power to the message that you have given to it? And then Jesus comes up and says, look, when you're gonna be in front of governors and kings, but look at this, or as witnesses to the Gentiles. The Gentiles symbolize people who don't share their faith. When you're around people of importance, people in leadership, or when you're around people who don't share your faith, look at what he says. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you will say or how you will say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. Underline, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking but the spirit of your father speaking through you. The power in this passage is Jesus says, if you truly are fretting that you're gonna say the wrong thing and paint this relationship you have with Jesus in the wrong light, Jesus says, don't worry, I will help you. The spirit will speak to you and through you 
and you don't have to fret about that moment. Some of you, if you're really honest, you are the people who run scenarios all day long in your head, right? It's what if, what if this happens, what if that happens? In fact, some of you may get paid really good money to be that person, right? What if this happens, what if that happens? And you run these scenarios. There's a point where you're planning ahead and then there's a point where you're making yourself crazy. Take it from somebody who does it where you're making yourself absolutely crazy because you're worried about all these scenarios that honestly God's on his throne and they're not going to happen. Jesus says, if you are fretting to the point that you cannot rest, he says, remember, the Lord's got it taken care of. He says, don't worry about how you'll say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. I'll never forget, I had a professor at OSU and I was a part of the very first class that he ever taught. Uh, This uh, particular man uh, had uh, moved to the United States from, I believe it was the Netherlands, and uh, came in to teach my math class. It was the very first class he'd ever taught at OSU. And uh, some of you remember this. The classroom setting, um, I'm older too, and so I was still a part of the generation where the chalkboards were going away in place of like whiteboards, you know, dry erase markers. And then you had the the, uh, really uh, uh, fancy classes that had the uh, the projectors where you could write on the screen and it would come up on, I mean, just I'm telling you, that's how old I am, all right? But that, the, the technology portion began to change. And so this poor guy, uh, he had come in, he's teaching his very first class. I'll never forget, he's so nervous, like we can see him physically shaking as he comes in to teach our math class. And uh, he walks up and he starts to write on the chalkboard, but the class before had been using the video equipment. And so I'm serious, he gets up there to write on the chalkboard and all of a sudden the projector whoop, flashes a light, like a blue light, and then turns off. Well, he can't figure out what the problem is, and so the light is flashing, and so he turns to right, and then he looks like, who's messing with me? Who's messing with me? And nobody's messing with him. It's just they've left the equipment on from the previous class, and he didn't know how to work it. And so for about the first four minutes, the poor man is just paralyzed with fear as he's trying to figure out what to do and how to move forward, because every time he starts to write, that blue light will flash overhead. Well, there was a young man in the class. He had flip-flops on, and he was wearing an OSU baseball cap, and he's sitting there, and he was sitting right by where the projector was, and then here's what happens. The man is freaking out. He's about to dismiss the class because he doesn't know what to do. And the kid in the hat goes, Prof, I got an idea. He takes his hat off and hooks it over the lens of the projector, and it stops the thing altogether. And you watch the man at the front. He doesn't say thank you. He just kind of nods at him where it's like, I am so, so grateful for you. And then he begins to teach the math class, right? Now, just for the record, I've always remembered that situation. And for me personally, Whenever I'm in a situation where I feel in over my head and the Spirit has called me out to speak on his behalf or I'm called to share the gospel with someone else, I have remembered that circumstance where I feel like the blue light is flashing and I don't know what to do. And God provides someone with a simple solution in the name of Jesus Christ to cover up the lens with their their baseball hat and because of that we're able to move forward. Now listen, the Spirit will provide for you But there's a catch to it. If you're taking notes, write this down. Nothing prepares us for a big moment like a consistent, genuine relationship with God. Let me say that again. Nothing prepares us for a big moment like a consistent, genuine relationship with Almighty God. If you are the type of person that is a planner, 
I guarantee you, your organization is better, your family is better, your friendships are better because of that gift that God has given you. But if you're the one who goes, I hear you say today, Pastor, wait and the Spirit will show you what to say. I'm a doer. I've got to make the plan. What am I supposed to do moving forward? If that's you, Jesus says what's in a man comes out of a man. The more good, the more godliness, the more scripture, the more relationship with Almighty God you put into your heart and mind, the more is going to come out of you in those moments when you need it the most. Nothing prepares us for a big moment like that consistent, genuine relationship with God. When we walk with him, God provides for us in those moments and it's easier to hear the voice of the Spirit when he is giving us the word and directing us. So now it begs the question as we go into our study today, how do the godly navigate moments of fame and triumph When we have those moments, specifically when the microphone is in our face, when the spotlight is put on us because of good things that are happening. Now, when bad things happen and the spotlight's on us, that's a little bit different story. We can talk about that another day. But today, if you'll flip with me to Acts chapter 3, we're going to look specifically at what happens to Peter and John when the spotlight is on them because of the miracle that's taken place in the life of the man who had been born crippled and carried to the gate called Beautiful. taking notes. How did the godly navigate moments of triumph and fame? We're going to start in Acts chapter 3 verse 11 and 12 and follow Peter and John's journey through that process. Um, As you're flipping that direction, uh, the background of our story, remember, is Peter and John are headed up to the temple and uh, they're going for a time of prayer. This is not like the big Sunday morning service. This is just a time of prayer that they're coming to hang out with their friends for. Not the main one, but just a time. And as they're going up, all of a sudden there's a man who's been crippled since birth sitting at the gate called Beautiful, right at the edge of the gate. The symbolism there is he's been brought right to the edge of fellowship with other believers in Jesus Christ. He's been brought right to the edge of fellowship with Almighty God. He's not saved at this point, but he's been carried right there to the edge. Peter and John see him on the way in, and they says, uh, uh, Peter reaches out and says, uh, Sir, uh, the, the young man says, Sir, well, do you have anything to give me? Peter then says, Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I will give to you. The name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. Peter then reaches out his hand, remember, lifts the man to his feet. He becomes strong, leaps to his feet, and all of a sudden, the miracle has happened, and he walks past the gate called Beautiful so that they can be in fellowship with one another and fellowship with Almighty God. This miracle has happened, and everybody notices. Do you know why? Because that man had been sitting there for years waiting for this moment. The celebration is so crazy. And because of what happened in Acts chapter 2 with Pentecost, everybody's looking to Peter like he's the new Jesus, like he's the one who deserves to be famous. Since Jesus is gone, Peter must be the one that we need to look to now, not just for leadership, but for this miraculous power coming from Almighty God. Peter notices that. And look at what happens in verse 11. This fame, this moment of triumph happens, and Peter has his right mind about him. It says, while the beggar held on to Peter and John. All the people were astonished. Look at this. And they came running to them. There's a tidal wave of fame that hits them in this moment in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Now, when Peter saw this, underline when Peter saw this, he said to them, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? 
Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness that we made this man walk? Stop right there for just a minute. I want you to notice it says Peter saw what was happening. When you are in a moment where God has done something amazing in your life or something amazing for the organization that you're a part of, when that moment of triumph hits you and everybody starts to rush to you, have the presence of mind to realize pride cometh before a fall. There is something bigger that's happening here, and you've got to be prepared for it. So Peter knows, rather than to receive the praise, rather than receive the glory, he's got to come to a point where he shifts gears, and he points back to Jesus as the one who has done the miracle. He comes back and says, man, why do you stare at us? As if by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk. Now, I want you to hear something in this, in the verses to follow. Peter is not Clint Eastwood going, get off my lawn, all right? The picture in this passage is not him going, you guys want to celebrate me? Get off my lawn, right? No, what he's doing here is he's trying to put the spotlight uh, onto Jesus so that things can balance into perspective. When it comes to a miracle or it comes to a moment of triumph or fame where the spotlight seems to rest on you and your life, if you're taking notes, write this down. How do we navigate that? Number one, share in the celebration without, without the victory. Let me say that again. Share in the celebration without owning the victory. I see a few of our athletes there at the back. Kyle, this is how you build a team. Share in the celebration without owning the victory. Have you ever been in a situation before where someone sits there and they have to get all the glory or all the fame from something good that's taking place? We do see this in athletics all the time. It's the difference between a team celebration and an end zone dance where somebody is doing it by themselves. You ever watched this happen before? You see a touchdown thrown in football, and you see the touchdown thrown, but it's a crucial point in the game where, again, the whole team is so excited, and you watch it. The athlete will sometimes, they had that end zone dance planned for the last several weeks, and they'll push the other athletes, try to celebrate with them aside, and do their special dance or their special performance right there by themselves. And you watch the team. It's just like, yeah, yeah, oh, okay, yeah, it's their time. They scored the touchdown. They clearly didn't need the rest of us to be able to do this, and so they can go and do what they want. Now, there's times for those individual moments, but when it comes to matters of faith, all good things come from God, every last ounce of it. To walk the line of humility is not to swell with pride to the point that you think, man, look at what I did. That level of vanity is exactly how the enemy can knock you off that pedestal to remember that you are less than perfect, that Jesus is the only one who is perfect. On the other side, um, you don't need to be the person who is such a downer and self-fake, self-deprecating that you end up taking the air out of the balloon in something amazing that God is doing. There is great momentum that can stir spiritually when God performs a miracle and we give him the credit. Try to think of it as pride on one side, as being a downer or self-deprecator, uh, sinfully on the other side with a razor-thin line of humility in between. If you're taking notes, write this down. Humility is a simultaneous acknowledgement of our honest situation and God's supreme sovereignty. Let me say that again. 
again. Humility is a simultaneous acknowledgement of our honest situation and God's supreme sovereignty. It's the difference between an end zone dance when it comes to pride and a walk-off hit in baseball. So I was reading about the, the last play of the, uh, the last play of the World Series, and they were talking about how to organize the team celebration at the end of the World Series. And here's what's interesting. If it's a strikeout, what is it that happens on the last play of the baseball season? What is it that happens after the strikeout is thrown? The celebration is at the pitcher's mound, right? The catcher catches the ball. The pitcher's supposed to wait in that spot, and then the catcher runs to the pitcher. All the other players come together, and that's the spot. Well, here's what was interesting. The article was talking about, let's say it was a fly out to center field or right field, where then the out is made there. The players are told in the team meeting, if we are at the moment where we've won the game, remember, everyone meets at the pitcher's mound so that we can celebrate here at the end of the game together. Try to think of it like a walk-off home run. The last uh, Nats game that our church ever went to together before the pandemic, there was a walk-off hit. It was way, way late. The game was super long. If any of you stayed for that, it was awesome. A walk-off hit to end the game. And what happens after a walk-off home run is the player hits the ball. The individual effort is there. But you watch what happens. After the ball goes out of the park, everybody in the dugout runs to home plate, and they are waiting for that athlete to come touch home plate, and then they pound together and the celebration is everyone together. The focus is not on the one individual. It's on the team and the accomplishment that's taken place. That's the way we should live in matters of faith. We celebrate together. Nobody owns the victory themselves. Our God is the one who's given it. Now just for the record, sometimes false humility can come into play and we can begin to think on the opposite side I don't want to be prideful, so I'm just going to pretend like this moment wasn't a big deal. Listen to me. If that's you, you belittle the greatness of God when you don't allow the group to celebrate. I've been guilty of this in my own life. We prayed for years that God would provide this little tire shop for us. In fact, when it sold back in 2016, I remember thinking that the, the vision was dead, the dream was dead, that this was gonna be part of our story. But all of a sudden, it came back on the market again. My family lived the first two years we were here in D.C. at 100 Capitol Yards right across the street. We were on the fourth floor, and our windows overlooked this building, and every time we'd see it, we would just pray that God would allow us to have it at some point. I'll never forget, there was one day a mission team from First Baptist Church in Plains, Texas had come in, and they were the ones who built the stage, built the sound booth, and then they were the ones that built our backdrop for us. That day, I come in, I'd been praying at a meeting, and I come in and walk through the back doors, and the mission team is in here working, and I see the cross. The outline was there, painted, and you could see the wood coming together. They were laying the wood pieces that would make this backdrop. And the moment was miraculous to me. I remembered every twist and turn of the journey that it took to get here. And all of a sudden, where I'm at the back, I started to cry quietly, just tears streaming down my cheeks, but I couldn't believe what I was seeing, the miracle in that moment. But listen to me, I was trying to keep it to myself. One of the coaches that had come up that week was Coach Bunton. And his wife, Cassie, was going to get more lumber from the back of the building. And I'll never forget, everybody's working. 
But Cassie turns to walk towards the door, and she gets right there next to me, and this comes out of her mouth. She sees the tears, and she goes, oh, Zach, oh, Zach. And you know what I thought? Leave me alone, right? I'm a grown man crying in the middle of an old tire shop, right, Uh, because of a cross on the wall. I'm sitting there. All I wanted to say was leave me alone. But when she says, oh, Zach, all of a sudden, everybody in the room turns, and everybody's looking at that moment. Can I tell you what I wanted? I wanted to crawl into a hole, or I just wanted to cry right there alone, or I I wanted to run down the block just to try to get away from everybody in that moment. But the Spirit calls for us to celebrate the miracle, to put the spotlight on all Almighty God, and not to own it for ourselves. Sometimes owning it is withholding it from the group. So in that moment, they gathered around and we prayed a prayer of rejoicing for the miracle that God had done. It didn't feel right at first, but it was the path of humility, and I'm so glad we had that moment. Every time I walk through the doors, I think of that prayer we prayed right there when I saw the cross for the first time in this room. It begs the question, are you giving yourself too much credit? Are you giving yourself too much credit? You realize when we are prideful, we're giving ourselves too much credit that we were the ones that caused the victory. But listen to me. When we self-deprecate and don't speak of the miracles of God that he's done within us and share that celebration with others, you are also giving yourself too much credit that that miracle was just for you. God might have given it to the group. Let's keep moving. Look at Acts chapter 3, and now let's look at verses 13 through 16. So here's what happens next. Peter's still speaking, and he goes, this wasn't us, not by our own power or godliness. And then all of a sudden, he begins to talk about Jesus, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned him. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know has been made strong. Look at here. Here's the power. It says, it is Jesus' name and faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing as you now all can see. Stop right there for just a minute. Peter comes back and says, we can all celebrate this together. I'm not the one who's done this miracle. And then he comes back and says, and do you know how the miracle happened? Through the name of Jesus and even the faith that was present for this this miracle to take place was given by Jesus as well. What a powerful thing for us to remember. The faith that we have, even the goodness that flows from us, is still given to us by Jesus in the first place. If you're taking notes, how do the godly navigate moments of fame and triumph? Number one is sharing the celebration without owning the victory. And number two, speak of Jesus and highlight faith. Speak of Jesus and highlight faith. There are some of you in this room that are going to have moments or are going through a moment right now where you can feel your head beginning to swell with pride because of the good things that are happening, the blessing that's bestowed upon you. And I'm telling you, your head gets bigger and bigger. You start to think, maybe I really am the cause of this. Maybe I really am the one that this city has been waiting for. Maybe I really am the one that can bring change to my organization. Maybe I really am the one, me, 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 I, I, I. And as your head gets bigger and bigger, you can't even fit through the door anymore more how do you get your head back down to size speak the name jesus 
remember that he's the one who's in charge, that all good things, that all matters of faith flow directly from him. You know what usually follows fame? Groupies, all right? And in this city, I would say that there are more groupies in this city than just about any other place I've ever been. Groupies are the ones who follow you around because they think that you are the key to success or that you are the key to blessing. If you're taking notes, write this down. Nothing chases away harmful groupies and potential pride faster than speaking the name of Jesus publicly. Let me say that again. Nothing chases away harmful groupies and potential pride faster than speaking the name of Jesus publicly. You ever had a whole bunch of people gathering around you and they think that you are the bomb diggity or whatever? They think that you're the one who's got it all together? You speak the name Jesus, they usually flee pretty fast, all right? Especially in this city. You start to give God credit and they begin to see that you're one who's not just religious, but you're a disciple. All of a sudden, it changes the entire dynamic of that conversation, a real faith mention of Jesus' name. And it changes everything. There are some of you who've gotten trapped in a situation where you're in a rough relationship situation, a rough job situation, where you've lived for yourself so much, you're trying to keep the spotlight on you. And the truth is, a mentioning of Jesus' name could chase away all kinds of predators that are trying to tear you to pieces. It's why in Psalm 89, verses 1 and 2, the psalmist writes this, And with my mouth I will make known your faithfulness unto all generations, O God. You know why that's important? Even the psalmist thousands of years ago says when we speak about Yahweh, when we speak about Jesus, when we say his name, there is a change that happens in the environment. We will make it known, not just in our minds, but it must come out of our mouths. It changes the dynamic Whenever we have an opportunity to speak the name of Jesus, to put the spotlight onto him, and we put it onto something else, it just ends up weird. I'll give you an example of that. I had just taken the job as the youth minister at First Baptist Church in Grapevine, Texas. And Grapevine that particular year was right at the center of a whole bunch of state championship football teams. We started the first week in January uh, working there, and uh, our church had 42 different junior highs and high schools that attended our student ministry because of where we were located, right kind of smack in the, in the middle of the Metroplex, the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. And I'll never forget my very first week of coming from an area where uh, we did not have a lot of football success. We didn't have a lot of sports success. Uh, there was a ton of success in that area. And so I'll never forget, um, the first Sunday, a kid comes up to me and he goes, hey, um, South Lake Carroll uh, High School won the uh, state championship this week in football. He goes, any way you could announce that from the pulpit for me? Anyway, you could announce that from the stage for me. It's just a youth ministry deal. And I remembered coming from Lubbock, Texas, which is a much smaller place, if somebody had won the state championship, I mean, we easily could have brought it up. I mean, it didn't happen ever. And so uh, not since like the 40s. And so I'm telling you, we, we could bring something like that up if it happened. So I walk up to the stage and I go, hey, before we get started today, um, just want to give a shout out to the South Lake Carroll Dragons for winning the state championship. And all of a sudden, the entire group except for two guys are booing. I mean, the whole group is just booing so loudly. And you got these two guys in the back going, yeah, bring it on, right? I mean, they are just glorying in this moment. And I'm sitting there like, what did I just do? Well, after it's over, two of the older parents make their way up to me and they go, oh, we need to have a conversation, young man. 24 years old. We need to have a conversation, young man. 
They said, what are you using the pulpit here at the church to do? And I was like, I thought I was just giving a shout out to those kids. They go, they weren't the only ones that won state this week. They said South Lake Carroll won, the, uh, which is about three miles from the church. They won small school 5A. Trinity Euless, that's about four miles from the church, won the large school 5A state championship. And Louisville Hebron, another five miles from the church, won the large school 4A state championship. They go, were you going to mention them also in this circumstance? And all of a sudden, I was like, what did I walk into, right? Now listen, can I tell you what we figured out? The pulpit was to be used for matters of Jesus and faith. It's one of the reasons why you'll hear me say here over and over again, we don't talk politics at Waterfront Church. Politics, politicians, and policies are always changing, but the word of God stands forever, amen? We stand on the side of Jesus. Many of you who've been with us for longer than this pandemic, you know we have stood by that principle for the last six years, and we will continue to. When the spotlight's on Jesus, when we speak his name, There is so much of this world that just fades away. There is no politician that could save us better than Jesus. I promise you that. There is no law that could ever be written that could be better than Scripture. Now, just for the record, I always speak this disclaimer as well. Does that mean that what you do in this city is not important? Absolutely what you do in this city is important. But as a church, we must carry proper perspective. Otherwise, we're cheering for the dragons and leaving other people out. We're causing dissension in the church that was never meant to be there. And then Peter doesn't just highlight Jesus' name. He highlights the faith that's given to us. We learned instead of building up the accomplishments of the high schools athletically, what we started to do is we would talk about the Bible studies that were being started, the FCAs that would get off the ground, the witnesses where people would bring their friends to church. That's what we began to talk about. And it stirred this amazing Christ-like unity in the body. The best example I can give to you that, by the way, is a story that happens with Jesus and the disciples. It's the story of the widow and the two copper coins. In that circumstance, Jesus and his disciples are at a church service. And all of a sudden, in this moment in the church service, they're passing the buckets around to do the time of offering. And one gentleman steps up and sets in a bag of coins, this massive amount of money, right in front of everybody, and it's spilling all over the place as the money is set into the buckets. And man, the disciples go, Jesus, check that out. Look at what this guy's doing. He's given such a large amount of money. Man, what a cool spiritual moment we're a part of. And without skipping a beat, Jesus goes, you missed it, man. Look over here. A widow with two copper coins. By the way, it's called a widow's mite. Might meant that it wasn't even a penny. It was like a shard from a penny, two copper shards, less than a cent. And what this woman has done is she's dropping it in the plate, and you see Jesus go, you think that that big sack of money was the moment of faith? This woman gave all she had, and she's the one who will be recognized for eternity. Now listen to me. When you've got the spotlight on you, a moment when people have rushed to you and they want to hear your story. We've got to be able to walk that line of humility and celebrate with them without owning it. But we've also got to have the presence of mind to speak the name of Jesus and identify the faith. Not the big, not the big cultural moment, not the big city moment, not the win of the South Lake Dragon football team but to put the spotlight on Jesus and identify the faith in many cases of those who would not be brought up otherwise. 
There's power when we hear normal people's stories, isn't it? It begs the question, is there something important that you are leaving unsaid? Is there something important that you're leaving unsaid? Now let's jump to verses 17 through 26, and we'll finish out this part of the story. Peter's still preaching here. He says, now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God. Underline and highlight repent then and turn to God. He not only has shared the name Jesus and the power that comes through faith, but now he is giving them an opportunity to receive Jesus themselves. Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Now stop there for just a minute. As the passage finishes out, he's about to talk through some different, uh, uh, some different attributes of that, but it all culminates in verse 19. Repent and turn to God that your sins might be wiped out and forgiven. How do the godly navigate moments of triumph? Number one, share in that celebration without owning the victory. Number two, speak of Jesus and highlight faith. And number three, use your platform to share the gospel. Use your platform to share the gospel. Peter sees this moment, this gathering, where they want to know what he has to say. They want to know why this event took place and how God was able to do it. He puts the spotlight back on God, and then he turns to the people and says, and you can receive this power as well. He invites them to come along and to be a part of the process. He uses that platform to share the gospel. If you don't take anything else away from today, I hope you take this quote. Are you ready? Creatively seek the place that God has uniquely carved for the gospel. Creatively seek the place that God has uniquely carved for the gospel. In every interaction, in every conversation, at work, at home, in your neighborhood, with friends where you're from, God has uniquely placed a puzzle piece that is specific to the gospel in your circumstance. On my birthday last week on Thursday, I was talking to my grandmother. My grandmother's in her 90s, taught in the inner city in Lubbock for years and years, for decades. She taught first graders how to read. My grandmother's a hero as far as I'm concerned. We got to talking about things and start a school. And I remember we were talking about sharing faith. And my grandmother, all of a sudden at that point, she said, you know, she said, it's getting harder to share your faith as a teacher. She said, but I try it every year. I said, what do you mean? She basically outlined the principle that they would get the student handbook, she and a group of Christian teachers each year, they would get the school handbook and they would figure out how within the boundaries of the law that they could as best as possible share their faith with the students that they were teaching. Like I said, she's a hero it reminded me of the FCA directors that I had growing up, many of them coaches, that even though the coach's schedule is so brutal, they would still offer up an hour and a half after football practice so that we could gather and share the gospel with us in a place where it was not only safe, but it was also a place where it was legal. I can remember the teachers that offered up their classrooms so that we could have Bible studies and prayer meetings during lunch hour. I can remember the people that I waited tables with that were so strong in their faith that they would make it the point to find the place the gospel would fit when they would wait on different tables, not where it was forceful or where it defamed the organization, but just so they could work it into conversation. I had a really amazing conversation earlier this week 
we got a young man in our church who manages a restaurant here in the area. He said, I was trying to figure out a way to share my faith with my coworkers. He said, I felt like what the Lord was calling me to do is he said, I usually come to the 1130 service. He said, I did every day's off. He said, but I come to the 1130 service. And then he said, I decided that every week after church, I was going to like clockwork, go and check in on the restaurant that I manage. He said, sure enough, someone would ask me, where were you today? What have you been doing today? And I could very generically in conversation say, well, I go to church every Sunday and I'm coming back from Waterfront Church. What started as something that was a random conversation, he said, now has become where they know where I go to church. They know where I'm coming from. And there have been about a half dozen people from his restaurant that he works with that have come and been a part of Waterfront Church. I'm telling you, he found that unique spot carved for the gospel in his natural flow of life so that God could work. Use your platform to share the gospel. I was also reminded of my uncle. His name's Tom White. He passed away this last year. My uncle Tom, for 29 years in a row, took one of his two weeks of vacation so that he could go on mission trip with college kids. 29 years in a row, my uncle made sure that he shared the gospel with his life. One of his two weeks of vacation, he spent glorifying God. For some of you, you've been told that there is no place for your faith at work. There's no place for your faith in the community. There's no place for your faith in political discussion. But listen to me. God has uniquely made you who you are, and he has carved out a spot for it. You just must creatively seek it. It's not wrong in our country to be who you are and to believe what you believe. No matter what it is that people would try to instill in you fear-wise, Look for the spot, and then it enables God to work like you never dreamed possible. It takes faith. It begs the final question. Are you trying to extend your 15 minutes of fame by hiding your faith? Let me say that again. Are you trying to extend your 15 minutes of fame by hiding your faith? I told you guys it wasn't going to be a rah-rah message this week, all right? But hopefully this was a bit of a thinker for you. I said, you slam that Bible. I get that, Kelsey. You do it, all right? Just slam that Bible. Now listen, I pray that you would take something from this today. There are many of you in this room that are going to get to experience life on top of the mountain. Maybe you're there right now. What's been my experience? If you drift into pride, pride cometh before fall. What I've noticed is if we don't get this principle then the kindest thing God can do for you is to knock you off the top of the hill. The kindest thing is to knock you out of that position of leadership or power because it will preserve your soul and your relationship with Almighty God. We have to come to the point that we remain and walk that razor-thin line of humility, trusting in God's sovereignty and also genuinely understanding all good things come from him and not from us. Let's bow our heads for prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me, we call this our time of reflection. There's nothing mystical or magical about this time. Just a chance for us to stop and to process how we're different because of the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and specifically the scripture that we've read. 
with nobody looking around but just me, is there anyone here today that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I need to be the one who shares in the celebration without owning the victory. I've been the one who either struggles to drift into pride or drift into that sinful self-deprecation when the truth is, I need to be like the baseball players that celebrate together. With nobody looking around but just me, if you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I would walk that fine line of humility and that I would find a way to celebrate the miracle without owning it. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you, so many of you. Y'all can put your hands down. Thank you. It takes guts. If that's you, I'm going to pray for you, but your prayer is very simple. God, help me not to own the miracle and to put the spotlight on you. God, help me not to own the miracle and put the spotlight on you. Second, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, um, I'm getting a little tied up in the pride and the groupies. And it's time I just spoke the name of Jesus. I can feel that calling in my life today. With nobody looking but just me, even scripture says that at the name of Jesus, the demons will flee. This demonic attitude fuels vanity. It fuels this this fake fame. And it was never meant to exist. With nobody looking but just me, if you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. It's time I speak the name of Jesus that with my mouth I make known his faithfulness. With nobody looking but just me, if that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. It's powerful. It's powerful. It's powerful. Y'all can put your hands down. Thank you. If that was you, just pray this simple prayer. I will speak the name of Jesus. Give me courage. I will speak the name of Jesus. Please give me courage. And then last but not least, Maybe there are some of you that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I'm committing today to creatively seek that opportunity, to creatively seek that uniquely carved place for the gospel in my life, in my interaction with others around me. If that's you, remember, it doesn't mean you need to pull out a bullhorn and stand on a street corner. That may be what God's called you to do, but most likely he's called you to figure out how to speak the gospel into your sphere of influence. With nobody looking but just me, if you're here and you say, Zach, pray for me, it's time that I take the time to creatively seek that place that's uniquely carved for the gospel. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. So many of you. So many of y'all can put your hands in maybe half the room on that one. It's hard in this city, but there is a place for it. It's difficult in this city, but we need not be afraid. I'm going to pray for us, but if that was you, Pray, God, open my eyes to see where the gospel fits. God, open my eyes to see where the gospel fits and give me the courage to speak it. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll stand. Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings in it. Thank you for the chance that we've had to study your word. Lord, thank you for Peter having the presence of mind to realize that pride was beginning to swell, that pride was beginning to fill in his life. And Lord, I thank you that he put the spotlight back on you and that he shared the gospel with that group of people. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ 
For those who need to learn how to share in the celebration without owning the victory, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ you would fill them with your spirit, that you would provide that path of true humility for them to walk. And Lord, I pray that momentum would be built for the kingdom because they handled themselves the way you, you, the way you want them to be handled. And Lord, I pray for those who need to speak the name of Jesus today. Lord, at your name there is power. I pray that you would remind us of that and that you would give us courage to speak your name. And last but not least, Lord, I do pray for those who are looking for that specific place where the gospel can fit into conversation. Just as in the first verses we read today, may your Holy Spirit convict us and give us the words that we might proclaim your message. I pray that as we walk out today, that our individuals who've made that decision would check the employee handbook, that they would check the HOA, that they would really sit and consider what it is that they can do to put the spotlight on you. We love you, Lord. Speak in power this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.